This has been a series that uh, has been so good so far. And what we've been doing as a church, it's almost like a campaign where things are working together. Now, if you're in a Freedom small group, uh, Freedom uh, is running through Freedom curriculum and it's gonna be incredible. It's gonna uh, come to a finish at a Freedom conference, but all of our other small groups are going through what we're calling a sermon series small group. So basically what's happening is the messages that are being shared on Sunday morning and the chapters that we're reading, like today, it's gonna be Romans chapter five. So I encourage you, open up your Bibles, get ready for Romans chapter five. But what's going to happen is this week in small groups, we're just going to discuss Romans five in a, in a deeper way. The things that you've heard today, we're going to open up a little bit more practically and conversationally through small groups. So I'd encourage you, if you haven't been able to take part or take advantage of small groups yet in that northwood.tv slash small groups, go to our next steps area, ask somebody, how do I learn more, get connected to this thing? Uh, because it's something that's growing us. I was in a small group last Sunday night and I was amazed uh, what Romans 4 did to me as, as just a person, as a man uh, in Romans chapter 4 on Sunday morning. And then we opened it up. Our small group last week was like 20 people. And uh, we just sat there and talked about this chapter. And what was incredible is people that didn't know each other uh, before that small group uh, grew together uh, relationally, but also grew uh, scripturally, grew some roots in, in beliefs, grew some roots in some things that are going to withstand a little bit of trouble, withstand some difficult seasons, but also walk through some good seasons today, which is actually some things that we're going to hear about in Romans chapter five today. If this is your first week with us, uh, kind of going to give you just a, a quick synopsis of what's going on in, in the book of Romans, because it's pretty unique uh, from a writing of Paul. Actually, it's very unique. Uh, most people would consider it the most thorough and doctrinally rich book that, that Paul wrote to the church. Uh, one of the reasons is because the church that he wrote to is the church in the city of Rome, but it was made up of of pre predominantly two different people groups. It was Jews and Gentiles. It came from completely different backgrounds, completely different understandings about God. And, and Paul thought that it was his responsibility to speak directly to this church and to maybe help these two people groups align around some core tenets of faith. Um, all the other letters in the New Testament that Paul wrote were written to churches that he had personally planted, that he had opened. Like his DNA, his guts were in that thing. Like if you went and visited our Wiggins campus or if you went and visited our Long Beach campus or, you know, wherever. It's, it's the same church because we were planted all by the same people, you know, the same direction. This one was unique because Paul didn't personally uh, plant this one. So he's speaking uh, very, very specifically into the doctrine and into the, what we consider the core tenets of faith. Over the last four weeks, we've gone through chapters one through four, and there was an overwhelming theme that the gospel was revealing God's righteousness through these first four, and, and in turn, it was revealing our unrighteousness. If, if you've been here any of those four weeks, that was revealed uh, very well to you of our unrighteousness, but how incredible God's righteousness is. And starting today, chapter five, really through chapter five, through chapter eight, you're going to see maybe a new emphasis a little bit, and it's going to be around this thought that the gospel creates a new humanity. Today, we're going to break up chapter five into, into two sections. It's going to be one through 11 and then verses 12 through 21. Verses one through 11 are going to be um, this thought that we have peace with God and we're able to rejoice in the hope that we have uh, through God, or really it's through Christ, but we have this hope in God. That's going to be one through 11. And then 12 through 21 is going to talk yet again about the consequence of sin, which is death, but that we have life 
through Christ. So I am so excited to share this. I want to pray and we're going to dive into chapter five. Father, I thank you, God, for the opportunity to communicate your word. So God, I pray that today that's exactly what would take place. God, that you would take your holy scriptures, God, the same scriptures that ministered to the church in Rome, God, that it would minister to us today, God, that we would be firmed up in our faith, God, that we'd be shored up in our, and not just our belief and understanding, but God, that we would that we would have a new revelation of who you are in us and God, what you want to do through us. We thank you for that in Jesus name. Amen. Verse one says this. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's again, it's saying our condition of sin has been dealt with. We are, we're out of the courtroom. Remember a few weeks ago, we talked about we're out of the courtroom. We're no longer being condemned for what we've done. Jesus has paid for, he's, he's justified our sin and it's through faith that we receive this. We put our faith, we put our hope, we put our confidence in the truth that Jesus died on a cross for our sins. And a lot of times when I see our, I think my died for my sins. And this means that we are, we're no longer enemies of God. Enemies of God. We are no longer enemies of God. This is incredibly positive. This is, this isn't something that you read and you're like, Oh, woe is me. No, no, it's, it's up here. We through faith, we've been justified and we have peace with God. And we only have peace through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse two continues by saying this. Uh, remember it said, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. So we've gained this access by faith. It's not anything that we've done. Again, remember, it's not anything that we could manufacture in ourselves. but through faith, we've gained access into this grace which we now stand. So many times, we struggle with the, what I would consider the assurance of our salvation. Like, oh, I, I'm not really saved. Or I didn't really gain access because we think about what we've done or places we've been or experiences that we've had. When it says we have gained access by faith into this grace, which we now stand. It's almost like, it's almost like you have been given just completely uh, without anything that you've ever done, but somebody just gifted you lifetime season passes to Disney World. And they're not like the entry level Disney passes. They're they're the ones that fast pass, express pass, VIP, get behind the scenes, say hello to the princesses. They know your name, you know their name. You know that whole thing, like the upper tier and it's lifetime season passes and you've gained access simply because somebody did this for you. And so many times as Christians, we, we drive to Orlando and we get to that spot. You know that spot if you've been to Disney or if you've watched television at all, you just drive through this area and it says, welcome to Walt Disney World. And it's everyone takes the same picture. You're fighting traffic, trying not to wreck because you're taking the picture. And as Christians, this is what oftentimes we do. We say, we have gained access. And what we do is we stop right there at the welcome sign. We say, look at this. This is so cool. And we post the picture. And that's all we ever do. We never access the park. 
We never do anything with it. We never take a step and enjoy the benefits. We've gained full access, not by anything that we've done, because why didn't you go to, I didn't do anything to gain access to Disney World. Somebody did, I didn't deserve it. Of course you didn't. None of us deserve what God did for us through Jesus, but that's what makes it so stinking incredible. He says, you've gained access through faith. What's faith? Through confidence, through hope, through believing and trusting that this is what God has done for us. So many people struggle with the assurance of salvation. And church, if we could just get the first two verses. Oh, it changes everything. We've got, and now we have full access. We have full access to the kingdom of heaven. You didn't just get in by the skin of your teeth. Some of you, your prayers when it comes to God is just get me into heaven. When God is saying there is so much more. Christ has given us peace with God. If you put your trust in Jesus, if you put your faith in Jesus, be assured in that truth. That's important to know. It's critical to know. It's, it's everything to believe in that many people still believe that they're enemies of God because they think about what they've done or they slip up and mess up when we forget how faithful God really is. And in a few verses, we're gonna actually dive into that a little bit more. But remember this, the foundation for today is that we are now, as believers, we gotta draw this line because some of us in this room are not believers in Christ. But as believers, you're at peace with him. Verse two continues and it says, and because of that, we boast, or some translations say, we rejoice in the hope of glory. The hope of glory is, is God. <laughs> the hope of glory of God, it's not just this, this surrounding bright light. It's who God is. We boast in the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory or we rejoice in our sufferings. And everybody's cool up until this point. And you're like, why you got to insert sufferings? When you go look at the word sufferings, it puts some other words out there. It says persecution. It says we also glory in our pressure. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Or it produces endurance. We can all admit that no one enjoys pain. No one enjoys pain. But this scripture is saying that they can rejoice because in God, the pain, the suffering, the pressure, it's productive. It actually produces something. Pain in this earth doesn't have the same effects that suffering with Christ does. So verse 4 opens this up for us. It says, suffering produces perseverance. It produces endurance. Then it says, perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. How often do we attribute suffering with hope? Like, did you ever play this game when you were a kid? One of these things is not like the other. One of these things is not like the rest. Nope, I did. <laughs> Suffering and hope. They don't belong in the same sentence. They, no, hope is over here. Suffering is over there. These things don't belong together. And the truth is in our 
finite minds, we can't understand, nor can it be revealed to us how these things work together. But God and all of his glory and all of his wisdom can spiritually reveal how this works together. Think about maybe an Olympic weightlifter. How does this Olympic weightlifter who we watch once every four years, who doesn't practice just once every four years, by the way, but how do they put up so much weight? How do they, how do they get that? How do they get to that spot as an individual? I can tell you this, it's because of the pain and the suffering of training that produces strength in them. It's almost ironic that Paul is the one writing this because Paul knew suffering very well. In other chapters, in other, in other books, he compared present suffering to eternal glory. And he's writing, suffering produces hope. It produces good things. And he begins to walk through that list of different things. The only thing that will produce perseverance in your life is a situation that's liable to create fatigue. Like we, I think our prayers might be wrong, church. I think we might be praying for ease when sometimes it might be for prayers that cause us to encounter what could be fatigue apart from God because he wants to develop perseverance in you. The only thing that'll produce character in your life is a situation that's going to actually test your character. Oh, now it's starting to make sense. The only thing that produces hope is a situation that appears to be hopeless. It's a spiritual law. The thing that produces character is the very thing that would otherwise crush us apart from the grace of God. Verse five says this, that hope that he just talked about, he says, and this hope does not put us to shame. He says, it doesn't disappoint us. So what is this? Let's define this hope a little bit more because this hope is not wishful thinking. This hope is not just, ah, I hope it gets better. It's a hope that's based on the promise of God. And that is the hope that is guaranteed. It's assured of fulfillment. Hope that we put, anything that we put hope in apart from God is not guaranteed. It's not assured and it cannot give us the type of hope that this is talking about. If we put our faith, or again, if we put our hope in anything apart from God's promise, it will fail. It will disappoint us. But it's so easy to put our hope in things, and, and so what do we do? We put our hope in this job, we put our hope in this person, we put our hope in this relationship, and time and time again, that job or that money or that relationship or that person or that church, it lets us down. Why? Because that's not what we were ever created to put our hope in. We were created to put our hope in something that will not put us to shame. Hope in current situations versus hope in future glory. Paul did an incredible job at painting this picture of constantly speaking from this eternity based. He kept saying, guys, lift your eyes up a little bit. But I will say this, that suffering for a believer causes two different things. 
One of those is that as suffering persists and suffering might last a lifetime. But a lifetime in comparison to eternity is just a vapor according to the scriptures. But suffering requires or develops this reliance on the grace of God. Like, I can't do it. God, I need you. But also suffering creates this hope and expectancy in eternity in our lives. Scriptures 5 continues by saying, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We realize his love, we experience his love, and therefore we have the ability to reflect his love through the Holy Spirit. How is this made possible? How, how is this even possible? Paul continues to tell us this in verse six. He says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. He says, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Sometimes you just need to stop and if you're reading your Bible, you just like, sometimes if you're in your Bible app, I like highlight it. And then I re-highlight it a different color. And then I circle it and I screenshot it. If we get the fact that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is what the love, this is the hope, this is the faith that we have. Because of this, everything else takes place. If because of anything else, life takes place and we're off. But because of this, let's be honest, we would barely give our lives for our friends. Let's not play cool. We would barely, it's got to be a very close friend. And I got to be in a very tight situation. Enemies, nah. Think about, okay, let's, let's be super real with each other. Think about the person that you would give your life for. Like, how far would you, that family, that friend, or that, that closest relationship to you, how far would you go? God went further. And he would still go further. And he would continue to go further. For the enemies, for the closest to him, and remember, apart from Christ, you are an enemy of God. Verse nine says this, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were still God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It says, through whom we have now received reconciliation. The word is restoration. Through whom we've now been restored to friendship, to relationship with God. How much more it's hard for people to hear and accept the fact that they are an enemy of God apart from Christ. It sounds remarkably condemning. It sounds incredibly exclusive, but the world reveals this truth to us. The word, it says it very clearly, and it doesn't matter if we say, I don't believe that to be true. God's word is infallible. It is true. We see that, we receive it, but the same word that, that says we're enemies of God, the same word tells us that 
because we are enemies of God, that's not how God created us to be, that God loved us so much that he made a way to reconciliation. He made a way to, to bring relationship back through his son's life and through his son's death. This is what it cost. This is the way of reconciliation that God displays for us, and it shows his grace to all mankind. If you believe that you've received reconciliation, or what, what we're talking about right now, if you believe that you've received this gift, and you've committed your life to this, that you've been made right with God, you therefore have eternal security. Peace with God. And because of that, it gives this assurance. Remember, we were talking a few verses ago. It gives this assurance, this confidence that, wow, I'm okay. God is with me. God is for me. And yet, if, even if I slip up, I'm quick to confess. I'm quick to turn away and say, God, you've still got me. You still love me. It brings confidence. It brings hope. And it reveals Christ to the people that you're around. So it's, it's vital that we see in these next 10 verses how sin and death reigned. Because what takes place here in a little bit is the fact that, that death reigns over humanity. But Christ is victorious over even death. And it says again to a believer, we can actually rejoice about this. So what's about to take place in the next few verses, it's, it's really verses 12 through 21, if you're still following along with me, is Paul is about to circumvent really the entire written law. Remember, the written law is what the Jews and the Israelites have, have substantiated their belief and understanding and entire way of approaching God on. And it's this entire identity of the Israelite, of God's chosen people, what he's going to do is he's going to, back, he's going to go back to the beginning of time. Um, he's going to go before the written law was actually there, and he's going to say, where did sin and death actually come from? Verse 12 says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people, because all sinned. We weren't created to die. God did not create mankind to die. He didn't create us to sin either, but because of sin, death is a reality for all of us. I believe that the last four weeks have done a very good job of communicating that truth to us. First of all, physical death is inevitable for all of us, but second of all, without Christ, spiritual death is inevitable. You see... Our society, the world that we live in, wants to avoid death at all costs. It wants to preserve life. It wants to not even talk about it. It's, it's taboo. We don't do it. Or, or you cartoonify it and you make light of it. We don't know how to handle death. Why? Because in our nature, we weren't created to experience it. And apart from God, we won't experience just one death, but we will experience two. I think what I think what Paul is saying is actually the last song we just sang. You know, I give my life uh, to know you all my life. Jesus Christ, like that's what he gave his life to. And I think what Paul is trying to say is where can hope be found if death is waiting for all of us? 
And he does an incredible job speaking about this gift that God has given us. It's the gift of life in Christ. Verse 13 says, to be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Now, in a couple weeks, we're going to, it's really going to be Romans chapter 7. We're going to open this thought up and really the law a little bit more. But to be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given. How is that possible? It's talking about the written law here. The written law. And it's speaking about this time between Adam and Moses. And, and this written law. How do we know that sin was in the world before that took place? Because even though there wasn't a written law, God had given law, had given command to two people in a garden and said, do not eat of this fruit. Sin was already in the world when they disobeyed the word, the authority, the law that God had given in that moment. Verse 14 says, nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. Remember before the written law was given, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command as did Adam who is a pattern of the one to come. Death reigned over mankind. Over who? Overall, verse 12 said that sin and death spread to all man through one man, through Adam. Verse 13 said that sin and death existed before the written law. It spoke that, we shared that, but verse 14 said that sin and death actually reigned. It means it was in control. Sin and death reigned. And Paul showed that even before the written law was in place, people died. People died because of Adam's sin. Adam infected humanity with death. Well, that, what an indictment. A lot of us are saying, I'd do it completely different if I was Adam. <laughs> Probably not. And then it would, instead of being Adam, it would be Micah infected humanity with death. And the truth is Micah walks with death apart from Christ. Micah is infected with death apart from Christ. Mike is death apart from Christ. The reach of death is universal. So Paul is overwhelmingly in the next few verses going to say we need to focus on the remedy. Because just as much as one man infected humanity with death, in a greater way, Christ injected humanity with life. These seven verses coming up are incredible because Paul paints this, this extreme contrast between Adam and between Christ, between Adam and Jesus. And, and again, we, we see that Adam's trespasses caused death to reign, but it was God's grace and his righteousness that actually reigns, that trumps through Jesus. Basically, what we're about to see in seven verses is that what Jesus did far outweighed, was far greater, it mattered more than what Adam did. And we'll actually see that it's not even equal weights on the scale. I don't know if you remember, but being in, in school and you would, you'd weigh these. Did you ever have like those little scales that you'd put something on one side and something on the other? And it was like it balanced itself and you'd see what was heavier. I want you to picture this. And for the sake of conversation, this side is going to be Adam. It's going to be mankind. It's going to be sin. So all of you are doomed and in trouble. Sorry. Just kidding. <laughs> and the person that's right in the middle is going, I don't know where I am. 
and for consideration, this will be the side that is paralleled through these seven verses. Verse 15 starts by saying this, but the gift of life is not like the trespass. For if many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? It said, it far outweighs. Yes, one man's trespass really infected mankind, but how much more was God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, how much more did it overflow to the many? Verse 16 says, nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. He's saying, don't even try to compare this. It's, this is not even a conversation that you can get into. He says, the judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. And whoo, we see that and it's heavy and oh no. But the gift followed many trespasses. The gift is Jesus. It says it followed many trespasses and it brought justification. Far outweighs, is far greater, is far stronger, is much more impactful. Verse 17 says, for if by the trespass of one man, which is Adam, death reigned through that one man. So death reigned because of Adam. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness act, result, I'm sorry, and the gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. What is the righteous act? God sending his son, his son living a perfect life, dying a criminal's death and offering his life up as a payment for our sins, for our death, for our condemnation, for our shame. He says, I got this. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that trespass might increase. Basically what it's saying is, yeah, when the written law came, it just made people more aware and, and the things they didn't know about that they were sinning, now they were aware and they just started to sin more because they were aware of this thing. It says, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. My sin was great, his grace was greater. I messed up, but he didn't. I was an enemy of God, but he loved even the enemies of God. His grace was so much greater. And church, guys, don't think that your sin has disqualified you from the grace of God. What I mean by that, what I mean by that is some of you in this room, some of you watching on TV right now, you can't get past the things that you've actually done. And what you do is you said, no, no, you don't understand. It's easy to say when I lied that God's grace is sufficient. But what about when I did this? What about when I was unfaithful? What about when I really did this? When I overstepped the lines that even people don't know about? That's exactly what I'm talking about. The things that we say could never be paid for, God has already paid for. My sin was great, but God's grace was even greater. So just as sin reigned 
in death. Sin reigned and caused death, so also grace might reign through the righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is what Paul is trying to communicate to the church in Rome. He's saying, if you would just get this, if you would be assured in your faith that that God's got you, if you follow him, if you abandon the past, if you turn from your wicked ways, if you no longer live in sin and in condemnation of things that you've done, if we live with the reality and the realization that God is for us, that Jesus died for us, then we will live a life that's assured, that's confident, that's fruitful, and that's taking ground for Jesus. So what does this mean for me today? Very simply this, because of all of this, because of Jesus, you have peace with God. Like, take a deep breath. You have peace with God. You're on the, it changes your mentality. You can live with a victorious mindset now. Because greater is he that's in you than he that is in this world. Something significant happened in our family over the past couple years. Very shortly, it was this. Three years ago, my son began to play basketball, and they were a terrible basketball team. They couldn't win games the first year. They played eight games, and they lost eight games. It was exhilarating. (laughs) The next year, we played eight more games, and we won one game, but it was because the other team's players were hurt. It was exhilarating. This year we played, same team came in, and the very first game of the season, they won. And all of a sudden, they walked into game number two with this thought of, what was this thing called winning? This is nice, and then they won the second game. But here came game number three, which was with the team that was by far the best team in the league. Everybody knew it, and it was the freight train that was awaiting our young Heat team. And our team walked in fearful, walked in knowing that they were going to lose. Why? Because the other team was better. The other team was stronger. The other team was much more athletic. But something significant happened in that game was through fundamentals and through just playing the game of basketball, they won that game. And the next time that they faced that team, they were no longer fearful They no longer thought, we can't do this. They had a victorious mindset in the same way. When we realize that, nope, death is stronger, sin is greater, but he that is in me brings confidence, brings victory, can't be beaten. That changes everything. It's a place of victory. You're at peace with God and you have victory in life even unto death. This is the message of Jesus, and this is the focus of Romans chapter five. Would you guys bow your heads with me? Father, I thank you, God, that you have given us hope in the future. God, hope not just today, but hope for eternity. So Lord, I pray that today's message, God, as we study your word, God, as we're watching this online, as we're on TV, God, as we're in this room experiencing and understanding in a new way, Romans chapter five, God, I pray for every single person who is far from you in this moment. God, that sin and death is the, is the one that reigns in their life. God, I pray that in this 
this most holy moment, God, that there is an exchange taking place. God, it's an exchange of life, God, of our lives. God, that no longer do we choose to live on the side of death, of sin, of shame. But God, in this moment, we are surrendering our lives. God, we believe that you sent your son Jesus to this earth to die for us as enemies of God. God, so that in the same breath, God, that we were once enemies, we are now friends of God. God, in this moment, we submit our lives to you, God. It's lives, God, that are no longer ours, but they belong to you, God. We believe that you died on the cross for our sins. So God, in this very moment, we commit to live our life for you. It's no longer ours, but it's yours. So God, speak to us, lead us. God, I thank you for today for saving us. And God, that your church, God, that we would rise up and be the victorious person that you created us to be. God, that we would no longer be weighed down with shame and condemnation, but God, that we would see and approach this thing called life from a victorious standpoint, because God, you are with us, you are for us, and God, we are at peace with you. So God, I pray that this would be the reality that, that propels us forward. God, that the way we live our lives would be that of vic victorious. God, for those of us that are walking through sufferings, God, that perseverance would be developed. Lord, that character would be developed. God, that endurance would be developed. God, ultimately, that hope would come to life. God, even if suffering lasts a lifetime, we commit to our hope being in something far greater than temporary situations. So God, I pray that temporary situations would not derail us or steal our focus from future glory. Lord, I thank you for today, for saving lives, for encouraging us, for inspiring us, and God, for helping us realize yet again that we are at peace with you. God, we love you and we honor you in Jesus' name, amen. Northwood Church is one church with multiple locations. Uh, we have locations in Gulfport, Wiggins, and Long Beach, and we'd love to see you there. If you enjoyed this message and want to get more info on who we are, just head over to northwood.tv. And once you're there, you can check out all our past sermons and all the things that we're doing in South Mississippi. And even to, to give to support those efforts of reaching more people. Be sure to connect with us on social media to stay up to date with everything happening around Northwood Church. Thanks for watching. We hope to see you soon.